Amen. You may be seated. I've said many times before, we sing better than we live. We do. And some of our hymns, well, if you're just willing to admit that you don't walk around every day in perfect submission and perfect delight, welcome to the club. Because you know when you're going to do that? When you're glorified. So we're striving for that. We're aiming for that. None of us walks that every day, all day. So important to admit that. But if you would turn to Romans chapter 3, I'll quit raining on your parade. Um, We are back to Romans. Been a little while. Uh, normally our habit is to preach through books of the Bible, but we do take breaks from that. Uh, normally we will preach a resurrection sermon on Easter, and then during the Christmas season we usually have a run-up towards Christmas. With, with Like this year it was the names of Christ. Um, and then we have, uh, as normal, a challenge message for the coming year uh, at, around the first of the year. So... We've been doing that recently, but we are getting back into Romans today. Uh, we left off in verse 26, and so we'll, do, we'll look at 27 to 31 this morning. But let's, let's read from, uh, let's start with verse 19. We'll set everything in context in, in a minute. Chapter 3, verse 19. After Paul has demonstrated the sinfulness of both Jew and Gentile, he says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law and although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, look at this news, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That was, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting is that it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a, the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us as we look into your word this morning. Minister to our hearts with your truth. May your spirit apply the truth of your word to the hearts of everyone who hears. 
bringing to faith, nurturing in faith, planting seeds of the gospel, you, you know. You know what each of our hearts needs. Lord, help me to preach the word in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Help us to hear it as the word of God in dependence upon the Spirit to teach us that we might live in its light. Thank you that we have your word, that we have each other in the body of Christ, that we're not alone. You're with us and we're not alone on the human realm. We have a family around us. So bless us, Lord. Bless us with your word. We look to you expectantly. We trust you for it. We ask it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, imagine you're in the eighth grade. And you're trying out for the high school basketball team. And you make the team. And you know you're not good enough. You know it wasn't based on your merits. But for whatever reason, this coach lets you on the team because he's confident that he can develop your skills. What would be the results of being treated that way? Well, certainly you would hope you would be humbled and joyful to be on the team and be ready to learn and grow. You would, you would now be part of a unified team and would be um, closely working with some even whom you would never hang around otherwise. But you seek to nurture that team unified environment. And you would listen closely to that coach who has loved you so. And seek to learn from him and apply what he has taught you. One team with one playbook. One coach, hopefully, the goal would, of that situation would be to win basketball games. But I want to talk to you about something that's much more important than being on a basketball team. That's being part of the body of Christ. Being one of the many who have been justified by faith alone. So we come up in Romans. We've come through the first chapter where Paul has greeted the church in Rome. And we've gotten to 16 and 17 of chapter 1 where he lays out his thesis statement. This is what I'm going to be talking about. And what he laid out there was the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Gentile. Notice even in that thesis statement, one gospel, one people. And then he began to lay out the need for the gospel. So in verse 18 of chapter 1 through verse 20 of chapter 3, he shows us the guilt of the Gentiles as we finish out chapter 1. Turning the corner in chapter 2, we see the, I mean, the guilt of the Jew, Gentiles, yes, and then the guilt of the Jews in chapter 2 and chapter 3, so that we sort of have that crescendo at the end that, uh, that both Jews and Greeks are under sin and proves that from the Word. And says that no one will be justified by keeping the law. Because the law points out our failure. It shows us how far short we fall. It shows us how much we need a Savior. It wasn't given as a ladder to climb to heaven. But as a mirror that we might see who we are and turn to Christ for salvation. And he turns in 320 
21 to tell us that the, the free gift of God is justification. It's righteousness. You, hard to believe that though we are sinful and, and deserve condemnation, Christ came to live and fulfill all righteousness, to die. He took the curse due our sin. He paid the penalty due us. And that's why He died on the cross saying it is finished before He gave up His Spirit passing through the power of death and raised on the third day so that by God's grace and His work in us to bring us to life through the preaching of the gospel, we might turn, repent, and trust in Jesus Christ and be justified and accepted into the family of God. And last time we talked about justification, we'll review that a little bit as we get started in verse 27. But today we're going to look at verses 27 to 31 and talk about the fruits of justification. What is accomplished when we're justified? What is God doing? What is He bringing about as He brings us into His family? And we'll look at three fruits of justification. Humility, unity, and order. And it's a cool section. It's, like, it's called the diatribe style. And Paul is just firing questions and answers. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer to make a point here. And the main point we're going to take away is justification by faith alone brings humility, unity, and order to the body of Christ. So we're learning what it does this morning. And then certainly there'll be some application in our individual lives as we learn. But first, look, at, look back at verse 27. Justification brings humility to the body of Christ. He says this in verse 27. So he's already said that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's told us up in verse 24 that this justification where we're justified by His grace, that it is a gift to us. We can't earn it, so we have to receive it as a gift. The faith is like our hands that we receive a, a, a gift with. There are no merit in our hands when we receive a gift. There are no merit in our faith. We receive Christ as a gift to us. And so then he asked the question, and he's going to answer it. Then what becomes of our boasting? And when you see boasting there, what becomes of our boasting in ourselves? What becomes of our boasting in men, in mankind? What becomes of that? Do we have anything to boast about because we're in Christ? And so he says, he says, then, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. A very short, succinct statement to say that you have no reason to boast. If you're in Christ Jesus and you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been forgiven of your sin, cleansed of it, and clothed in His righteousness, it had nothing to do with you earning it. It had everything to do with Christ earning it. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Stop. Paul uses that little word law in a lot of different ways. And sometimes he's talking about all of Scripture when he uses law. Sometimes he's talking about law keeping. But here it's more, and your translation might bring this out. I'm not sure which one you're using. But the thought here is more principle. 
It's, it's, it's being used in the way we would use principle. By what kind of principle or on what basis shall we not boast? By a law of works? Is it because of our works? No. But by the principle or the law of faith. By the principle or the law of faith. Why? Look, he answers, for we hold that one is justified by faith. And, and you know, you know the, the solas of the Reformation, sola simply means alone. This is where they get that. It's where Martin Luther was getting that and others who, who read the, the, the text in the original language. He says, justified by faith apart from the works of the law, apart from obedience to the Mosaic law. We've already seen that phrase earlier in the text and talked about that. Works of the law encompassing everything the Mosaic law commanded one to do. We're not justified that way. Remember, he's already said that no flesh will be justified by keeping God's law or by the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Justified by faith. Let's review a little bit. Do you remember our definition of justification? And listen, you might be saying, I never heard words. Why are you using words like this? And, uh, nobody, this is, what do you think, we're in college or something? No, you're, you're in the school of Christ. And since Christ uses these words, the Spirit, you know, God has inspired these words, we need to understand them. So if somebody has coddled you all your life, I'm sorry. It's time to buckle up. And learn. And I'm teasing with you, but I, sadly that happens in, in a lot of places. But if God says justification, we need to know what that means. Propitiation, we've already talked about that. I'll point you back to that sermon. But the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes for us what justification is. And uh, I've, I think it's even in your bulletin today. I want you to memorize this. It will help you. It will help you because this is just a summary of what God's Word teaches on justification. So look at this. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all of our sins. Wow. Really? All of them? Yes. But it's not over. See, it's not that God just cleanses your record and leaves you without righteousness, just you're not guilty. No, he, he pardons us for all our sin and accepts us as righteous in His sight. Wow. Now watch the next word. Only. Only. Now see, it had nothing to do with us. We brought the problem into the situation, not the, not the solution. We brought the sickness, not the cure. Accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed or credited to us and received by faith alone. Full forgiveness and pardon. Full made right with God and clothed in righteousness. Did you know that if you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, all of your sin is gone. It was obliterated. It was nailed to the cross with Him. It is gone. And you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Metaphor. His, his, his righteous deeds, His righteous life has been credited to your account so that before the judgment bar of God, what reads on your record is perfect, perpetual obedience. Of thought, word, and deed. 
Because Christ did that. And He's given that righteousness to you. And He took your curse and forgive, so that you could be forgiven. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Justified. Declared righteous on the basis of Christ. Declared righteous by who? This is courtroom language. By God in His court. Declared righteous and accepted into the family. Memorize that definition. Memorize it. Think about it. Look at the scriptures we're talking about until you just remember it, until you own the fact that your salvation, if you have it, it was a gift. It's not because your parents were good. It's not because you read the Bible and gave and came to church. It's not because you did anything good. You are a child of God because His Son did something good by living for us and dying for us and being raised from the grave. We had a debt we could not pay. He, had, he took our debt that He did not owe and He paid it to give us His salvation. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Look at this verse in Romans. We'll get there. Verse 6 Romans 6.23 Both side of it, easy verse to spring forth from and share the gospel with somebody. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, separation from God, curse, eternal. But the free gift, notice that. You know what original language means there? Free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we receive it as a free gift. And therefore, we have peace. Trusting in Him and not in ourselves. On our good days and our bad days. Your, your good days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And your bad days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. That's not Jeff Duncan, that was Jerry Bridges, but it's a good quote. It's a reminder that what Paul is saying here is true. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And I, I will come back to 10 later. So when you memorize it, memorize through verse 10 if you do. Don't leave off verse 10. It's important. But look at, at 8 and 9. We'll talk about 10 later. For by grace, you if you've been saved, this is true of you. That's why it's a work of grace. That's why the definition starts that way. For by grace, you have been saved through faith as an instrument. And this is not your own doing. Stop. So many people act like it's their own doing. I'm not good enough. Congratulations. You understand it rightly. You are not good enough. I can't do this Christian life. Right. Praise God. Be humbled by that. Salvation is not your doing. Look at it. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Think our works. So that, what's the application? No one may boast. Just like our verses here. I cannot boast about my salvation. Because it's to the praise of the glory of His grace. It's to His honor and glory. Christ came to save His enemies. I was an enemy. Why would He choose me and save me? I have no idea. I wouldn't have. But he did. How do I know? 
Because he's given me faith in Jesus. Don't look to your performance. Look to the cross. Do you love Jesus? Do you have, R.C. Sproul would say, do you have any love, for, real love for Jesus? If you do, God's at work in you because that's not natural to us. Are you trusting in Christ? I didn't ask you if you had perfect submission and perfect delight yet. When cling, are you clinging to it by your fingernails? On your worst day, if backed into a corner, would, would you say, my hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He must save me or I perish. See, if you're trusting in Christ, not a perfect faith, you'll have that when you're glorified, right? And becomes sight. If you're trusting in Christ, it's because He gave you faith. Look back at that verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Well, the antecedent there is the entire grace by faith salvation that includes faith. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and God, through somebody sharing the gospel with you or something you read or somebody preaching the gospel to you, took you from death to life. You, he gave you life. How do you know? So that you turned and trusted in Jesus. And if you are trusting in Jesus, and if you really understand His grace, it will humble you. It will humble you. And it will be easy to apply this no boasting. We won't boast in ourselves because we know we're not good. We know that it was a gift in spite of what we deserve, that it was grace even the faith was a gift. So we don't boast in ourselves, we boast in our God. Same author, Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. And because of, now watch this, why am I in Jesus? Why am I trusting Jesus? Was it my good idea? And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption to watch, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And listen, I'll say some more about this later, but we're always going to boast about something. So the gospel, you want to know if you're gospel-centered? <laughs> Are you boasting in the Lord? Let him who boasts or her who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, boasting in ourselves is ruled. Oh, righteousness, righteousness before God is obtained by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in being good enough, not by the works of the law, not by doing what is required by the Mosaic law. So see, the first thing that if we're justified, if we're God's child, if we're saved, we like to say it that way, then this is what will happen in our lives. We, we will be humble. The first fruit of justification, that was the title, Fruits of Justification, is humility. Christ's body is a humble body of Christ. We're not perfectly humble yet, and some of us have some room to grow, th grow there. How many of us? All of us. Some have more room than others, maybe. But if we really understand the gospel, we will be humble. Last week, we will be gentle. That's how, you can't be gentle without being humble. And if you are humble, you will be gentle. How, are you gentle? 
If not, repent of that. Tell the others you've offended, you're sorry. How is your humility meter reading this morning? And not just some generic humility, but a gospel humility. Humbled by God's grace to you in Christ. That's the first fruit of justification. Secondly, justification brings unity to the body of Christ. Look at, look at verses 29 and 30. Works of the law, you know, everything the Mosaic law requires. So he says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one. And you'll see some differences in interpretation there where some translations will say there is one God or some see it as quoted in the Shema. And that's a big discussion. We'll get into that this morning. God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. Who are the circumcised in Paul's lingo? Jews. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Uncircumcised being everybody that's not a Jew. What the Bible calls Greeks or Gentiles. Notice the thing I want you to notice that there's one gospel. And there's one way of justification. There is one salvation, not two. There's one people of God, not two. I mean, we saw that with the introduction in verse 16, that, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. The gospel, power of God for salvation of everyone believes to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Not a different gospel. The Jews aren't automatically in by being Jews. Gentiles aren't automatically out by being Gentiles. Praise God. One gospel. Not two ways of salvation. Not a way to make Gentiles second class citizens. Not a plan B. One body chosen before the foundation of the world. Gifted to Christ. Christ came to save His people which He accomplished their redemption and the Spirit is applying that redemption to that one body so that they are humbled by the gospel in turn and place their faith in Jesus both Jew and Gentile. One God. One gospel. One way of salvation. Result, one people. Not two people. Not two people of God, but one people of God. Listen, your homework, read Ephesians 2. Read all of it, but start in verse 11 and read through the end and notice that Gentiles at one time were separated from Israel and hope and all of that, but in Christ now they've been included. How does God do that? In Romans 11, we'll get there, right? Unbelieving Jews taken out of, of the, and, and the Gentiles are grafted in to all those promises. Just one verse, Galatians 3.28, Paul is outlining what we are in Christ and breaking down that dividing wall and separation between Jew and Gentile. And he says this, there is neither Jew, in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. He's not doing away with ethnic distinctions. He's pointing out this one body thing I'm telling you. There is neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. He hasn't removed gender distinctions as well. We need to understand these verses before we go quoting them. But watch what he says. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. One new man you'll read in Ephesians 2. Gentile, Jew, brought together. One new man in Christ Jesus. One gospel. One people. 
the Israel of God. Paul says the end of Galatians. I'm not going to spend much time on that. We'll talk more about that, like I say, when we get far ahead in, in Romans. But notice that the second result of justification by faith alone is a unified body. It's a humble body. It's a unified body. And now it's an ordered body. Now, just part three, point three. Justification brings order to the body of Christ. Look at verse, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Since we can't be saved by it, and since it, it, it points out our sins so that we fall short, showing us that we fall short of the glory of God, since the moral law has convicted us of our sins such that we've turned to Christ, are we now done with it? That's a great question, right? Paul says, do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, opposite. We uphold the law. See, many, many, have, many today have a theology that makes void the law after we come to Christ. And sometimes it's a very mystical thing where it's a very subjective thing where uh, now that I've come to Christ, I, I, I just do what feels right because His Spirit's in me and that's how I follow the Spirit is just basically going by my feeling. Well, that's going back to Judges. <laughs> It's not following Christ, right? Many have no role for, in the life for the Christian for the Ten Commandments. That would be a more antinomian theology. And we're not advocating for a legalistic theology either this morning. Because it's true, the law convicts so that we turn to Christ. But we don't want to think that now there's no continuing role for the law. That there's no, as the reformers would say, third use for the law. See, Paul's asking a very important question. Now, let's just look back at the verse for a minute. First, he says, do we overthrow the law by this faith? This, this word overthrow, a few translations for you. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says cancel. Do we cancel it? The NAS says nullify. Do we nullify it? The King James says make void. Do we make it void? The word here means to cause to come to an end. To cause to become nothing. To put an end to. The Net Bible has in a note, this it says, to render inoperative. Is our faith such that once we come to Christ, we are done with God's commandments? We render them inoperative. They've served their purpose and they fade into the background of redemptive history. Well, look at Paul's answer to that. This is the strongest possible negative in Greek. We've seen it before. By no means. I think King James says, God forbid. It's not a literal translation, but it's, it gets the idea. In no way should we think this way. This is not a right understanding of the gospel. This is not a right understanding of God's commandments. This is not a right understanding of the new covenant. This is not a right understanding of what happens in us and through us and what God is doing. Paul says this, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Present tense, continuing action. We uphold 
the law. Again, let's look at that word. King James establish. A lot of translations say establish. We establish the law for its purpose. For God's purpose, right? The word here means to put in place or to set or to make stand or to be there. So instead of overthrowing the law because we've been unjustified, we uphold the law. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to uphold something? Well, to look at it as a standard of thought, word, and deed or behavior. Because see, it wouldn't make much sense for God to save us and not have and give us a new heart, which is a right heart, and that heart not be like what He's worked in in His saints in the Old Covenant, where in Psalm 119, go read that. It'll challenge you to death. But one of the things David says there is, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And he grieves over where he falls short of it. And he cries out that he might walk in confirmation to it or a consistency to it. Think about this. What did Jesus do? In his life on earth, well, he, he encapsulated it as his baptism, baptism as fulfill all righteousness. It's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. How do we know what righteousness is? God's commandments define righteousness. And in fact, the word says that they also define sin. So not doing them is sin. So Jesus' life could be summarized in loving the Father and keeping the commandments in thought, word, and deed out of joy. And what are we called to do? Follow Him. Remember last week, we're talking about the one who claims to have faith in Him should walk as He walked. That's how He walked. In full and complete obedience out of love for the Father. What is the summary of the law? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What is a life of love? How should we think about that? What does a life of love look like? A life of love would be a life of joyfully living under God's law and confessing when we fall short. You're all going to fall short. I'm not peeping in your windows. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, right? But we have a goal. Aim at nothing and you'll hit it every time. And I don't want to be around you when you're shooting if you aim at nothing. See, every one of the Ten Commandments is mentioned in the New Testament and applied in the New Testament. Every one of the Ten Commandments, one of them's not left out. Now, certainly they're interpreted in light of the coming of Christ. And that's another sermon. But every one of them is mentioned and applied. So evidently Paul thought they had a continuing validity. See, the moral law has always been there. It was there in the garden when man was created, written upon Adam's heart. And if you read 1 through 3, you'll see all of it you know, there, and you'll even see you know, God resting as a pattern and, and all of that. See, it didn't start with Moses. It was in the garden forward. And it was written down under Moses, right? And the new covenant, what does God say he was going to do? Go read Jeremiah 31. He's going to write it on the heart of those whom he saves. 
In other words, our hearts will be tuned toward obedience if we really know Him. And we'll be joyfully obeying Him and grieving when we don't, and that's a lifelong thing until Christ comes or until we go to Him. So there's, there's three, classically been understood as three uses for the law. First, think of it as a strict judge who sticks right with the law. The, the, the law reveals sin. We've already seen that in, in chapter 3. The law shows us the perfect righteousness of God. And therefore, in reflection, think of it as a mirror. It shows us how far short we fall. So that we are, not that we might be miserable, but misery in our sin until we turn to Christ. That we might realize our sin, be grieved over it, hate it, and confess it, and turn to God for salvation in His Son. So the first use of the law is a mirror, and we don't jump over that. Second use of the law classically is a civil use. It restrains evil and secures order in society. And then the third use is as a teacher or a guide. The law is our teacher. What does it mean to love God? First four commandments. What does it mean to love neighbor? Second table. And then Christ even amped it up and told us to love one another the way He has loved us, which is living that out self-sacrificially. See, the, the law secures order in the church because we all have the same standard. We are looking to Christ and through Christ to God's commandments. The, the thing, when we come to faith in Christ, then we see Christ when we read the commandments. He did this perfectly for me. And He's shaping this, me into this so that I can have joy and patience and walk by faith and not by sight, trusting Him and knowing He's conforming me into His image which was perfect, joyful, out of love keeping those commandments. So be sure we understand that when we come to faith, we're not just chucking the law, we're not overthrowing it, but by, by no means, Paul says, on the contrary, present continuous, we uphold it as a teacher, as a guide, not as a covenant of works. We don't look at it to see if we're good enough so God will love us. We see our failure, yes, but then we see a picture of our Savior and we see what He's conforming us into so that we depend upon His grace. And if we know Him, our hearts will be tuned to it. We'll want to love Him that way and we'll be grieved when we don't. So here's verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship. Our salvation is His work. He did it. Created in Christ Jesus. Why were we created? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How do we know what is good? And a good work. His word defines it, and particularly in his law. There's no dichotomy between the law of Christ and the law of God, in case you've been taught some bad theology. The law shows us what it means to love God and others. Look at this. If you don't believe me, believe John. John said this in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. This is how we love God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, we don't go, okay, whatever, I'll do this, I don't like it. That's the heart of the unregenerate right there. No, out of joy because it's Him, His will, His love, His grace that we look to Him and want to honor Him with our lives and the commandments give us shape to that and we see Jesus exampling that and the apostles teaching that. 
1 Corinthians 7, 19, same author, the Apostle Paul. He wouldn't teach two different things, one in one place and one in the other. 1 Corinthians 17, 7, 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Well, what counts, Paul, but keeping the commandments of God? That's New Testament theology, rightly understanding things. What matters is me loving God. See, I claim to trust Him. I claim to love Him. This is what it will look like. Loving God is not primarily a feeling. See, what, that's what we do. We want to know if we love God, we look inside. We navel gaze way too much, right? Look out of you. Look to God. Look to the cross. Look to His Word. Here's how you know if you love God. Are you in general walking in obedience to His commandments? We can't do that. Yes, yes we can certainly can do that by His grace and the power of His Spirit. doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but looking on our lives externally, someone looking on our lives wouldn't be able to make an accusation against us. John the Baptist, father and mother, were said to be blameless in their generation and others. Did that mean they were perfect, they were glorified? No. But it meant that they loved God because He'd worked it in their hearts and they were walking in His ways. So see, the third result of justification by faith alone is order. God brings order and harmony to His church with one standard, which is His commandments. So because we're justified, we're now part of one humble, unified, obedient body of Christ that is growing in grace. Yes, we grow in grace through confession when we fall short and through pleading that we won't fall short, that we'll grow through repentance. Let me apply this in a few ways and I'll, I'll quit. But just meditate on this and don't forget about our sermon last week. We're carrying that text with us all year. But let me ask you a question. I'm going to flip it on its positive side. This, this is how you'll really know that you've, you've got God's grace, okay? You get it. This is how you'll know you're not boasting in yourself. Now, even in your own heart. Think about it. We, we, do, we do a lot of that boasting internally, don't we? Rest in Him, not you. Here's my question. Are you boasting in the Lord? And boasting rightly understood means speech. Now, life's, our life is certainly to boast in the Lord, but our lips are to boast in the Lord. If we're legalists, we boast in ourselves. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I do this, and I do that. That, that's, that's boasting in yourself. That's what a legalist looks like. But one who really gets God's grace, if we really get God's grace, we're grateful to Him and we love Him and we will boast in Him. Because we boast about the things we love, don't we? Think about our sports analogy that we started with. How many of you walk around with a shirt that's got your team on it? You're boasting in your team. You wear their hat. You wear their shirt. You have their tag on your car. Be careful that you don't, like the un, that you don't dislike the rivals. Not a gospel thing to do. We boast in our teams, right? This is, a, this is laying right there on the page. We boast in our grandkids. Why do you do that? Yes, I know. They're the prettiest, smartest kids in the world. I'm not sure how that all works out when we all have those, but 
No, you do it because you love them. You're excited about them. You want others to see the blessing that you have. We boast in it. We brag on them. We talk about what we love. If I've really gotten the gospel, I'm talking about who I love, being Jesus. Are you bragging on the Lord? And again, don't see that as a law that you just get crushed by and get all disappointed by. Just see it as instruction. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm boasting in everything but you. Help me to boast in you. And if I'm not boasting in you, what am I missing? I, I need more gospel marination so that I boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of Him. Well, just think about that. Are you boasting in the Lord? Because the body of Christ is first a humble body that boasts not in themselves but in the Lord. Secondly, do you embrace a one unified people? It's kind of like me asking, do you have sound theology? I know there's Jews and I know there's Gentiles. So I'm not wiping that out any more than God does. But there's not two plans. There's one plan that creates a unified people, one new man. The Gentiles are grafted into Israel, becoming part of that through faith. Israel and the church are not two separate and distinct things. One is fulfillment of shadow. One gospel, one people, Paul's language, one Israel of God, one new man. Go read Ephesians 2 and, and we can talk about that if we need to. I know there's a lot of difference on that. The last thing though, number three. Are you growing in true, joyful... Now watch this. Are you growing in true, joyful obedience to God's commandments? All of them. Do you love them all? Do you love nine of them and you've gotten rid of one? Because Paul didn't make any such delineation. And I don't think the New Testament does. Certainly certain things about some things have been fulfilled. Are you growing like the psalmist in Psalm 119? Oh, how I love your law. Help me to walk in its light. Forgive me when I don't, Lord. Shape me into that. Shape me into the image of Jesus. So are you boasting in the Lord? Are you embracing God's one unified people? Are you growing in true joyful obedience to God's commandments? It's another way of saying, are you on the team? Are you in the body? This body, because this is the real body. The one humble, unified, obedient, and growing in it body of Christ. If you are in Christ, it is all because of His grace. See, He didn't rubber stamp your idea. He didn't look down through the tunnel of time and see that you had chosen Him and therefore He chose you. He saved you. Get over it. Rest in His grace. Quit fighting against your peace. 
It wasn't based on anything in you. We'll see that in Romans 9. We see it in John. We see it all over the place. So let that grace shape you into a humble unifier who is joyfully shaped by God's commandments. In other words, into a growingly true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Have mercy on us. Cleanse us from our sin and fill us with your spirit and give us a right heart, a humble heart that actively boasts in you. We need to be shining as lights in the midst of this dark and crooked generation and a lot of us are hiding. Humble us with your grace. May we be unifiers, Lord. May we be engaging with and fellowshipping with and bringing into our circle those that are like us in the body and those that are not and and being one in Jesus. And I pray that we would have joyful, obedient hearts that grieve over their sin and that plow into living a life that is a true life of love for you, a life of following Jesus. We know that even Jesus told us if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. So help us to love you. Help us to love our neighbor that doesn't know you, Lord, by serving them and bragging on you and and being gospel conduits. Lord, help us to love one another the way you have loved us in a self-sacrificial way bringing last week into focus again in a gentle way. And Lord, help us to go to those we haven't been gentle with and say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I was not following Christ when I was harsh with you or excluded you or treated you as though you were not part of this one body. Unify us. Strengthen us, grow us. Lord, I use this one word, revive us. That we might be this humble, unified, gospel-ordered body of Christ that enjoys you and glorifies you and can't wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Save the lost. Grow the saved. Build your church. May we be a God-honoring, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, gospel-trumpeting church for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.